0: Hope you have your Bible tonight, and you'll be making your way over to Genesis chapter 27. That's where we're going to begin text talk tonight, Genesis chapter 27, and, and we have five chapters that we need to cover tonight. Uh, Hunter gave us a few extra minutes tonight, uh, a little shorter song service as we dig into this. Are you keeping up with your Bible reading? Y'all can react to that, like nod your heads up and down. Yes, yes. Uh, we're a little bit past halfway through our year and heading yeah. on to these latter chapters in Genesis. And
1: David, uh, I really enjoy this, this Bible reading. I have taught the book of Genesis I believe five times. And by this immersive reading, reading the same chapter every day, I am seeing things in Genesis that I've never seen before.
0: And, and I think when we go through the study tonight, I think that will even become more clear because uh, these last five chapters have been a lot of stories, right? And if you grew up mom and dad took you as a little kid to Bible class, probably stories you've heard again and again and again. And yet, maybe reading them as an adult, you stumbled across some things and said, well, my teacher didn't talk to me about that in Bible class. And and I know from some of your questions, it began to stir your mind about that. And that's one of the great things about the Bible. I think it's an evidence of inspiration that no matter how much we study it, We can come back and find new things and see things with fresh eyes, and I think we'll find that in our study tonight. We're making an important transition. Let me note that here at the beginning. 26 to 27 is important because we're shifting focus in the characters. Remember, this second half of Genesis basically goes through four generations of one family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph. And so tonight we're moving from the very brief consideration of Isaac's life. Basically, basically chapter 26 is the only chapter that's exclusively devoted to Isaac. And 27 marks a definite transition where we, we focus now on his son uh, Jacob. Isaac will play a role throughout here, but primarily from this point over, we're going to focus on, on Jacob. Lots of interesting stories about him, even, even some kind of odd stories, but we'll have to talk about those sheep tonight and what his breeding practices were. That was all interesting. Uh, the other thing that we want you to take note of is Jacob and his relationships, because as Max and I talked back and forth this week, One of the things that occurred to us is that these stories aren't just stories, but they're stories about relationships. Did y'all notice that? Uh, With his mom and dad, with his brother, and then with his father-in-law. We're going to nickname him the snake tonight. And with Rachel, yeah, y'all saw it too, right? Rachel and Leah, his wives, uh, lots and lots about relationships through here. And, And the
1: relationships are very complex and troubled.
0: Complex and troubled. That is exactly a good way to say it. And, and, and so, we'll talk a little bit about that, but there needs to be a reminder to keep this overarching question always in the back of your mind, and that is, Max, why are we being told this? What, what do these stories have to do with what is the story of Genesis, and that is the redemption story? Let me give you this one thought to sort of keep in the back of your mind as we go through this tonight. These children that are going to be born in this section of the reading, uh, the 12 sons, they're important because they're going to become what? The 12 tribes of Israel, which form the nation of Israel, which is the great nation that fulfills one of the big three promises to Abraham.
1: You know, David, if I had to give one title and only one to the book of Genesis, it would be this, God builds a nation. That's what he's doing. God is building a nation, and you see it with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons. Okay,
0: and so that, that becomes really important to remember going through this, that, that this is first about fulfilling the promises, and then I think with regard to these children fulfilling the uh, the promise of the great nation. Uh, Let's take a look at chapter 27. In terms of relationships, chapter 27 is going to to show us Jacob relating to his father, his mother, and his brother. Uh, Notice that those relationships are marred by a terrible mistake that that Isaac and Rebecca make and that sadly Jacob will go on to replicate, and that is the problem of favoritism. Uh, they, are, they, they show preference to, to their children, and as a result of that, it creates all kinds of trouble for their relationship.
1: Well, favoritism in a family rarely turns out to be a good thing, David.
0: Rarely, and, and it, it doesn't turn out to be a good thing here at all. No, so in chapter so. 27, uh, the primary story here is a controversy over the blessing. So we need to talk a little bit about that. Some of you had questions about that, and I think there's a need, Max, to distinguish between three things here. We need to talk about the blessing here in chapter 27, but we need to go back and also talk about the birthright back in chapter 25, and then intertwined with all of that is also the promise that God made to Abraham, carried through Isaac, and now the question is, this promise to Abraham, it's going to go through this family, but is it through Jacob or is it through Esau? So let's start with the birthright back in chapter 25. That was, that was a blessing that automatically fell to the firstborn, right?
1: Yeah, he got a double portion of the inheritance. He also became uh, like the family priest. He had special duties uh, because
0: the birthright fell to him as the oldest son. And Esau... Esau, it's not fair to say he lost it. In yeah. fact, he accuses Jacob of stealing him from him, but that's not fair either. But he did lose his birthright. He sold it. He chose for a pot of beans. Yeah. Those must have been some really good beans. Maybe some Wesley, maybe some Louisiana beans. Maybe so, I don't know. But 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 he sold his birthright for the beans. Now, get to chapter 27, and Isaac is ready to bestow this blessing which is something different from the birthright. It is.
1: Yeah, the, the blessing, it was the practice in Bible days uh, and still in some places around the world today for a father uh, sometime before he died, uh, as he sees death approaching, to speak to his sons and pronounce a blessing on each of them. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob speaks concerning each of his 12 sons and essentially pronounces blessings
0: there. Now, it's interesting that in 49... Jacob calls all twelve sons, and I don't know that it's fair to say each of them gets a blessing because what he says is some of these blessings are kind of prophetic, aren't they? That look to the sons' Absolutely. future, yeah. and uh, not all of it was good for his sons, which makes us look back on this chapter and think something doesn't look right here. There's something about what Isaac does that is different from what Jacob does. First of all. Uh, he, says, uh, he says in verse 4, y'all in chapter 27, look down at verse 4, uh, he wants Esau to prepare a meal for him and bring it to him that my soul may bless you before I die. So you get the impression that he's about to die, right? <laughs> Don't get all worried about that. He's going to die for 40 years. So first of all, he's starting this really early. Secondly, did y'all notice that he only called in Esau? And the custom was to bless all of the sons and yet he omits Jacob now this gets more interesting if you look ahead to verse 29 when he actually this is Isaac actually pronouncing the blessing but remember who does he think he's pronouncing the blessing on Esau that's right because Rebekah sees what he's doing and her and Jacob cook up this scheme where Jacob poses as Esau. But here's the thing to remember. When Jacob goes in that room, Isaac thinks he's giving the blessing to Esau. Now look at 29, because look what he says. This is his blessing, he thinks, to Esau. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you, Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Now, that's a problem, isn't it, Max?
1: Well, it is, because earlier, before these boys were born, it was told that uh, it would be the other way around, that the younger would be the dominant one, and the older would serve the younger. Esau is the older.
0: So God had already pronounced, y'all remember back in chapter 25 when Rebekah, was having these two kids within her struggling and she goes to the Lord and says what's this all about that's what God says he says the older will serve the younger God declared that that would be so and it's also interesting Max at the end of 29 he says cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you because that sounds a little bit like the promise made to Abraham doesn't it
1: back in chapter 12 and and what what isaac is doing in giving this blessing he thinks he's giving it to esau of course but it's to assure that his own will is being done not the will of god that's the point he's trying to circumvent what he knows what he knows is god's will when these
0: boys were born he's trying to pull a fast one on god that never works well that never does work well does it and so what's bizarre here is that Jacob is being a scoundrel with his mama and trying to trick the daddy, and God's using all that misbehavior to be sure his purposes get done here. In fact, did y'all notice when, e- when Isaac realizes what has happened, what does he do? Do y'all remember that? He kind of freaks out and starts trembling. He's scared to death. And I don't think it's just because, oops, I blessed the wrong son. I think he knows that God knows what he's been yeah. up to, and God has put a stop to. Uh, I think it's real easy, Max, when we read chapter 27, I remember as a kid, especially the way I was taught the story in Bible class, reading this and thinking, wow, Jacob is the real scoundrel here. Did y'all think that too? May I submit to you that I think he may be the, the least scoundrel of all four of them? There are no clean hands here. None of them are clean, but listen... Mama's the one who cooked up this plot. Sorry for all the mamas, but she was not good in this story. Uh, Esau, Esau's on the outs because he's just a bad guy, period. God doesn't want him involved in this. But the real scoundrel in chapter 27 is Isaac, who thought he could pull one over on God.
1: Someone said this, that this is just another case of where God is using imperfect men (laughs) To secure his perfect will god's will is going to be done in this case and it would have been done in some other way a better way had it not happened this way but this is the way that it did happen david so, so
0: skip ahead for a minute to chapter 28 because that's where we're headed it seems like max at the end of all of this jacob realizes and submits himself to the will of god because or i'm sorry isaac realizes and submits himself to the will of god because in 28 In verse 3, as Jacob is leaving, uh, Isaac says this to him, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. There's the nation promise may he give you the blessing of may he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave to Abraham so it seems as though that he that he recognizes he can't pull one over on God and here he submits to God's word.
1: right and in this case Isaac is simply repeating in different words, but he's repeating the promises that God made to Abraham. In fact, later in this chapter, God himself is going to speak to Jacob and repeat the promises to Abraham. Right. Chapter 28, verses 13 and 14.
0: So we had one more question about 27 before we move on, and it's right down in verse 45. Uh, Remember that Esau's unhappy, obviously, after he realizes he's been had. And, and so, he vows that as soon as his father dies, I don't think he knew how long that was going to be, he would kill his brother Jacob. And so, Rebecca says, as she's sending Jacob away, why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And someone said, well, who's she, who's she talking about there? And I think because of Esau's threat, the point is that the day Isaac dies, now Esau comes after Jacob. And so Isaac and Jacob are both killed. I think that's what she has in mind.
1: Yeah, wasn't there also a question about how old were the boys?
0: We did have a question about that.
1: Yeah, and how old were Jacob and Esau? Uh, It appears that they're in their 70s, maybe 77 years old at this time. And Isaac, being 60 years older, he's 137 at this time. But he's going to live, according to chapter 35, he's going to live to be 180 so he's still got 40-some years to go.
0: So let me ask you a question. Does, and, and nothing against you folks that are 75, okay? But does the fact that these guys are like in their 70s totally alter everything you had in your mind for being a little kid in Bible class? That's just a completely different picture, isn't it?
1: We think of these boys in their 20s, and they're 50 years older than that. But hey, there's something here, though. Considering that Isaac was well over 100 years old, And blind, it helps us to understand why the deception came off as it did.
0: But, you know, as old as he was, he sure seemed to kind of know what was going on. He He wasn't easily convinced, was he? Yeah. All right. right. Moving on to 28. 28 is interesting, Max, because in the aftermath of this, the boys separate. But the thing that happens in 28 is they both go and seek a wife. Jacob is sent to the family of his mother, Rebekah, obviously, Mm -hmm. and he's instructed not to take a bride from the Canaanites, but to find one from among his mother's family. But
1: Esau has already taken two Canaanite wives.
0: Okay, so let's get to that. But what's more interesting is though Esau is already married, after Jacob leaves to go find a wife, he does the same thing. He goes in search of a wife. And who he chooses to go to who is, is interesting.
1: He chooses a daughter of Ishmael.
0: Y'all remember Ishmael, right? Who is Ishmael? The, the son of Abraham through Sarah's maid Hagar, Hagar right? Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, my suspicion here, Max, is, is that Esau, Esau is distraught. He's lost his birthright. He's lost the blessing and he's really feeling like he's on the outs. And, and you brought up the two Hittite women that he'd married. That had not set well with the family, had it? At the end of 26, we're told what great grief that brought to his mother and father. So my suspicion here is that Esau is trying to get back in their good graces by going and he thinks marrying in the family. But in choosing to know that shows his utter lack of spiritual perception because y'all remember, right, that God made a clear distinction between the family of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael. In fact, they're literally physically separated from each other so that Ishmael would not be confused with the family. In fact, Esau's just sort of a pathetic character from history, isn't he?
1: Well, he's a sad character at this point. However, later on, we're getting a little ahead of the story, he he has some redeeming qualities.
0: (laughs) Well, he kind of ends up like Ishmael, doesn't he? One of these characters that winds up being marginalized because he's not a critical part of the redemption story. He's only mentioned as he intersects the key characters in the story. Now, in verse 10, we pick up with Jacob's quest, and going back to his mother's family puts him on a collision course with his mother's brother, Laban. Remember what we said we're going to call Laban? The snake, because. He's a snake. That's exactly right. You
1: don't want this guy as your father-in-law.
0: Listen, I don't want to buy a car from this guy. (laughs) He is a scoundrel. Uh, We'll get more to that in a minute. Along the way, someone asked us to comment on verse 12 and that, you know, Jacob is traveling to, to the family of Rebekah, and he sleeps that night, and he has the dream of the ladder in heaven. Why don't you comment on that? Because we had a question about what that symbolizes. Yeah,
1: what does what the ladder <laughs> symbolize? First of all, he's, he's heading toward Haran. Uh, remember, Abraham was down in the Ur of the Chaldees. He traveled north to Haran. God told him that, to go there. And then he told him to leave Haran. But when he left Haran, he left all this family behind. So that's where jacob now is going to find a wife and haran is actually in the north it's very near to syria it's in a land called padan aram and he stops on the way he's resting on the way and he's left beersheba he's at a place now called luz and there is when he gets the vision of the ladder and david my understanding of that is that this shows a connection between earth and heaven and that God's approval is upon him, that God's blessing is going to be upon him. Uh, and it's very similar to what we see. Jesus even comments uh, on that in John. John in the Gospel of John. That's right. Yeah, John 151. It's the idea of linking heaven and earth together. That's that's the thought. And by the way, at this place, after he has received this vision, he says, Surely this place is the gate of heaven, it's the house of God and he renames Luz, he calls it Bethel, which means house of God. And later on, this very place where he sets up a memorial here, later on, this, when they come into the land hundreds of years later, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant is set up at this place called Beth-El. It, it literally became the house of God.
0: Interesting. I, I also thought about As part of that scene the angels ascending and descending and and one of the things we see throughout Genesis uh, is the role of the angels in coming to the aid of the people of God and I think I think what God has done with Abraham and Isaac and now with Jacob his his key players in the redemption story is he's given them the assurance I don't want you to be afraid because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to take care of you and in light of what follows he needed to know he needed to know that god would be with him and god would take care of him and
1: and it's interesting in looking at this ladder it says the lord stood above it and when the lord speaks he speaks concerning the land you're going to get this land that we've spoken of to abraham you're going to have all these descendants and the blessing promise of abraham is going to come upon you so early in the chapter isaac Had spoken these words but now it's the lord himself so this is a
0: significant incident here it's the repeating of the promise to to the next generation now we know through whom the promise will be continued and so really from here on out now jacob is going to take center stage beginning in 29 where we find him in two new relationships maybe it would be better to say three new relationships the first is with his father-in-law, Laban, or the man who will be his father-in-law. And then also in 29, uh, he marries these two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and those relationships begin to develop. A couple of things about that. You get an idea pretty early that Laban is not a good guy. Uh, As soon as Jacob comes on the scene, he's in pretty desperate circumstances. He essentially comes to Laban with nothing, and uh, Laban evidently f- picks up on the fact he's interested in his daughters, and so he sees an opportunity to get some free labor. So, so it's sort of reminiscent of Jacob taking advantage of his brother who comes in from the field hungry. His brother is in some difficult circumstances, and so he says, ah, it's a great chance for me to get the birthright. And, and then later he will take advantage of the darkness to get rid of his oldest daughter before his younger daughter and get seven more years out of it. By the way, you can tell he really cares about his girls, right? Seizes an opportunity to get seven more years of free labor. But here's the interesting thing. Laban does to Jacob exactly what Jacob does to his father. Did you see that? So in a sense, Laban's a bad guy, but in a sense, Jacob's getting his comeuppance
1: here, Yeah, right? it's kind of a justice thing, but it's, uh, again, it's a deception. And, you know, one of the, I think it's one of the most shocking things in the entire Bible when he wakes up in the morning, having worked seven years for Rachel, wakes up in the morning, and behold, there was Leah and not Rachel. You know, uh, these two girls, Leah is spoken of as one who had soft eyes or maybe delicate eyes. Uh, maybe she had some kind of a vision problem. And, of course, Isaac was blind. But you have to wonder about Jacob's eyes, too, here in this case. Didn't he look at who he got on his wedding night? I mean, it was dark, well, sure, but, you know, okay, pay since, attention, pal. Since
0: you brought it up, several of y'all asked the question, as though y'all could thought we could find something that <laughs> wasn't in the text. Uh, the question was, how in the world could Laban pull that off? Uh, a couple of things. The only real evidence the text gives us. This is in twenty nine twenty three. Uh, it says it was evening, and so there is the problem of the cover of darkness, right? And 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 so uh, that may be a piece of it. Uh, some have speculated that maybe Laban got him intoxicated. Uh, I guess that's a possibility the text doesn't say that it's another reason not to get drunk and I'll use every opportunity I can to say something about that but um, the other thing that I think is interesting that we need to appreciate we imagine Jacob and Rachel courting for seven years like people today date for seven years and so in our minds they dated seven years and he didn't know on his wedding night but bear in mind their dating may not have looked anything like our dating folks and how much they actually spent time with each other and knew with each other. There's some who actually contend, Max, that when they were in each other's company, her face would have been veiled, mm-hmm. would not have actually seen her face until, until after the marriage. So it may not be as far-fetching as we might imagine it to be. He may have known very little about her prior to the wedding night than he actually than we might actually imagine, and that may account for that to some degree. That's right. Um, We had another question in chapter 29. um, Following this story of Laban manipulating things and and, and ultimately getting him to marry both daughters, um, there was a question in verse 31 about Rachel being barren. Because Leah begins to produce children, and Rachel is unable to produce children, uh, which, by the way, just leads to all kinds of grief within the family. And uh, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about favoritism. Because what Jacob saw in his house, he now replicates in his home. Rachel is clearly his favorite, and Leah knows it, and there's just all kinds of drama that comes from that.
1: Well, again, it... Well, let me say this just to get a little ahead of ourselves. Polygamy never has a good outcome.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's in the Bible, but it's never good. Yeah,
1: and, and I wonder if God doesn't show us all these cases just to show us the problems. Rachel is extremely jealous, envious, angry at her sister, angry at her husband, angry even maybe at God uh because she's not bearing children and Leah right off the bat one two three four children yes. uh quickly and so uh this is something that and and there's there's bad feeling between the two. Uh there's something else to be said here, David. And just before we started tonight, I was thinking about this. One of these girls is obviously, according to the text, is much more beautiful than the other, and that's Rachel. But guys, think about it for a minute. It's nice to have a beautiful wife, but it's much nicer to have someone who's beautiful on the inside. And ladies, you may be beautiful outside, wonderful, you're blessed, but it's much more important for you to be beautiful on the inside. Don't ever forget that. And Leah, I think as a woman who's beautiful on the inside, Rachel's beautiful on the outside, you can see the difference here, David. Well, let's talk
0: about that a little bit because I think that helps account for the fact that Rachel is unable to bear children. In fact, I think, Max, and we talked about this at the outset of this, that some of these stories we learned as little kids in Bible class, when we really dig deeper into the text, the stories wind up looking, in some cases, quite a bit different than what we grew up thinking about them. I would urge you, if you want to figure out what's going on with these two women, you need to go back and read these chapters again but focus on the character of the women, because I will tell you, when you pay attention, it really begins to emerge that these are women with very, very different character. And, and, and for the sake of time, I'll just give you a couple illustrations of that. Go back and look at what Leah does when she bears children. You know what she does every time? She praises and thanks God every time, again and again and again. When Rachel, either through her handmaid or herself, begins to have children, what she talks about is her vindication in her feud with her sister. She's thinking about, "Aha! Finally, I'm getting even with my sister." And in fact, in fact, uh, you remember when they flee, the household idol disappears, right? You remember who took it? Rachel took it and then as you described in verse 30 or chapter 30 verse 1 that bitterness toward Jacob uh, it's pretty clear that the problem with reproduction is not Jacob he's not having problem having children with any of these women only with her and then for me what is sort of the crowning moment you know ultimately Rachel dies in childbirth when Benjamin is born but Benjamin was the name Jacob gave to that son What Rachel calls him, just before she dies, she names her son, the son who killed me. So, I'm not saying Leah is faultless in all of this, but when you go back and read this and you really look at the character of the women, one of the things that I think emerges, Max, is that though Rachel was more beautiful in the outside, Leah was far more beautiful on the inside.
1: Character Character trumps beauty every time
0: well, and I think Jacob figures that out as we get deeper into Genesis There's going to be very interesting thing that takes place that at least to me suggests Maybe before this is all over Jacob sees the truth on this because Rachel jobs during childbirth with Benjamin and That happens while they are traveling and what they do Even though they're only a short distance from the family burial site, they bury Rachel right there, where they had stopped on their travels. You guys know where Leah's buried? We learn right at the end of Genesis that Leah is buried in the cave of Machpelah with Abraham and Sarah, with Isaac and Rebekah, and with Jacob. You see, we read this and we think the love story, Max, is between Jacob and Rachel. I think if you'll go back and read it again, what you find out that the real love story is between Jacob and Leah, that ultimately he came to see what, what a great woman she was. And so coming back to the issue of childbearing, I would just suggest that what you have here is very much what you had with Jacob and Esau, and that is God choosing the woman with the greater character. You remember that through Leah, the priests come, and the kings come, and the Messiah comes. And so she is having children because of God's choice of her. And once again, remember Isaac chose Esau, but God chose Jacob, and Jacob chose Rachel. But God chose Leah. If you she don't get there.
1: anything else out of the lesson tonight, we're working with God's choice. That's Romans chapter 9, just as an adjunct to this.
0: Okay, so let's head to chapter 30, because we're about out of time. Um, and we, we, we have here really a development of more of this situation with, uh, with Jacob and his wives. We had a question about verse 4, Max. Why don't you comment about this? Custom of of women, or rather, uh, servants being given to husbands in marriage, and first daughters marrying, uh, or the oldest daughter marrying first. We had some questions about
1: that. Well, the oldest daughter marrying first, Laban treats this as a law, it, and it might have been. It certainly may have been a very strong custom in that land of Pad and Aram. Uh, It might have been good Jacob had worked for him for seven years and during those seven years it might have been good for Jacob to inquire about local marriage laws Uh, but this is not an uncommon practice according to Clark this is something that is practiced by modern Hindus that the oldest girl in the family has seniority and nobody marries till she marries and so that same idea here Uh, as to the idea of giving The servant to the husband to bear children. We saw that in the case of Hagar, Uh, Sarah gave Abraham Hagar, and you see the the servant was the sole property of the female master, and he being given to the husband, uh, the man could have children by her, but the children did not belong to her. The children belonged to the female master. And so that's why, in the case of Sarah and Ishmael, she says, this child will not have an inheritance with my son. And so she boots, she wants him out of the picture. But this was a practice uh, that was done in Bible days. And uh, while we may be uncomfortable with it,
0: it was a custom of the times. There, There was also a question, and it's along those same lines down in verse 18, uh, when Issachar is born, and Leah says, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. And someone said, Well, you know, what does that mean? I think it's just a wrong assumption that God had blessed her because she had given Zelpah to Jacob. I think that's her assumption. I don't think that's necessarily a valid assumption, just what she happened to believe. In. Sure. I also think we need to take note of verse 25. Will y'all go there, chapter 30, verse 25? I think that's really important because the story pivots here in chapter 30 verse 25 it says as soon as Rachel had born Joseph that's her first child born from her Jacob said to Laban send me away that I may go to my own home and country I don't think it's incidental that it's after the birth of Joseph that now Jacob is thinking about leaving because Rachel is now connected to him with child. They have a family together. And listen, I think he knows he can't trust this guy, and he needs to start thinking about his exit and being careful about how he does that. Uh, One other thing, verse 27, someone asked us what religion is Laban. And uh, though I think he has some knowledge of Jehovah, Laban is clearly an idolater, isn't he? Uh, He mentions, I mentioned verse 27 because he talks there about divination, and then later there's uh, the episode with the household idol. Clearly, uh, he is some kind of idolater, even if he knows something of Jehovah.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. And then we had another question about the spotted goats and the the streak, uh, the sheeps born with streak uh, on them. Uh, You know... Uh, i'll just say this that god was in control of that god was going to bless jacob and jacob came there with nothing when he had left isaac and rebecca he got there and essentially had nothing and so god is going to bless him and is going to make him rich and he's going to do it by giving him all of these sheep that were different from the others instead of being white sheep and black goats uh, they're going to be spotted, streaked, and so on.
0: I never was told that story in Bible class. I'm wondering about you children's Bible class teachers. Why do not y'all tell us about the striped poles and the different sheep? That's an interesting story. Uh, uh, a couple of things about that. I don't know what to make of the breeding technique. I actually read some guys who say, uh, there are people who say that works. Well, I, I read that with great skepticism. So Yeah, I would and, too. And, but 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 I think you're right. The important point was, uh, that God was going to bless him, even though he put himself at a distinct disadvantage. Evidently, uh, sheep, for example, tended to be a single color, oh, yeah. and a spotted or striped one very unusual. And so to say, that'll be the only thing I take, was putting himself at a distinct disadvantage. But what Jacob—it's a shrewd move on Jason, yeah. Jacob's part— because he's ensuring that there will be no question about which ones belong to him.
1: Yeah, and Laban looks at this and says, wow, what a deal. I mean, he's going to take the defective sheep, and I get to keep all the good ones, but now all these defective sheep are born. Uh, But it's God in control. Chapter 31 and verses uh, 11, 12, and 13 make make it clear that it was God who was causing that.
0: Well, and God had told him that, remember, the latter that God would take care of him. In fact, let's go on to chapter 31 because it's 6 o'clock, so we probably should wrap this up. We've got to wrap. In chapter 31, chapter 31 is just the exit, right? And so in the first couple of verses there, we're told, well, we're given three reasons why Jacob says, I need to go. He could tell that there was trouble in the family. The sons were accusing him of stealing from Laban. Laban didn't regard him with favor, but the important thing is verse 3, Max, the Lord says, it's time for you to go. And so he has to, he has to plan very carefully uh, his exit. And as we get deeper into the story, we figure out why. Because once he sneaks away with his family, Laban comes in pursuit of him. And I think every indication of the text is that he wasn't just coming to say goodbye. He was coming to take everything that Jacob had. And I think to do him harm. Yeah. Because if you look at verse 29, I think verse 29 is the key to turning that story around. I think Laban came intending to do Jacob harm, and God intervenes and says, don't, don't you do touch him. Don't touch him. Don't you touch him. And that's evidently what spares his life on that occasion. Somebody asked about verse 43, uh, where Laban says to Jacob, the daughters are mine, the children are mine, the flocks are mine. Uh, and all that you see is mine. Someone says, well, how can he claim these things belong to him? Snake. Because he's a snake, yes. (laughs) He had a legitimate claim to him. Listen, if it's not clear by now, folks, Laban's a crook. And so, of course, he would lay claim to them. And then uh, one last question, and I think that wraps us up, Max, on chapter 31. Uh, What right did he have to demand in verse 50 that, uh, that his that Jacob don't, uh, not take any other wives other than, other than his daughters. And, and I think my answer to that is, when was Laban ever limited by what he had a right to do?
1: Yeah, uh, Laban did whatever he wanted. Laban
0: did whatever yeah. he wanted to do. I don't know that he had a right to make that demand of him.
1: But I, I think he's probably concerned about his posterity. Uh, all the current children are offspring of his family from his daughters and their handmaids laban is grandfather to the 12 sons of jacob and if jacob takes other wives and has other children then there would be children who would get an inheritance that was not from laban so he's concerned about i think his kids his grandkids their inheritance not being corrupted that's a possible answer you know with almost every text talk david we have emphasized that god is working out a plan for man's redemption And in spite of all the chaos and confusion in this very messy family, out of that chaos, God is going to bring 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel, building that nation. And that nation is going to eventually go to the land of Canaan. And that nation in the land of Canaan is going to give birth to the Savior. God's plan is moving right along in spite of all the wacky things that these people are doing. And God wants every one of us to be a part of that plan. That's why at the close of our services, we always extend an invitation for people who believe in Jesus, who are ready to pledge their allegiance and devotion to him by confessing his name, being baptized into him, and raised to walk in newness of life. That is God's plan. God has brought the seed of Abraham into the world. Jesus Christ came in 2,000 years ago, and he wants to provide that blessing even for men today. And Maybe there's someone here tonight, David, who is ready to receive that blessing of God. To be a part of this great plan that was how many years ago? 35, almost uh, 4,000 years ago. It
0: all the way back to the beginning.
1: All the way back to the beginning. God is the one in control. God is directing the plan, and God wants you to be a part of it. If you're not, you have the opportunity right now. Come on now while we stand and sing.